G'day legends and welcome to the Cam and Jord podcast. Today's episode, we have performance coach Mitchell Woods. Yeah, Mitch is a performance coach with an incredible background. He's about to unpack how he got to where he is today. Mitch has been lucky enough to work with elite teams such as Cricket New South Wales, the Sydney Swans, the Cronulla Sharks, Manly Seagulls, and even a stint overseas with the Kentucky University. Mitchie is our own Summit Series mental and emotional coach. Each fortnight, Mitchie is preaching the importance of meditation to our young athletes and how it can help them perform more consistently and at a higher level. Mitchie first opened our eyes to meditation a few weeks before episode one of the Summit Series and since has been an important ritual in our daily lives. Mitchie is a die-hard sports fan with passion running through his veins to help as many athletes and people as he can. After going through many traumatic experiences in his own life, he certainly has the credentials to help others through their mental and emotional struggles. Hopefully this episode gives everyone deeper insight into the mental and emotional space and understand the impact it has had on Mitchie's life, hence his passion in striving to help as many people out there as he can. Enjoy episode 7 with Mitchell Woods' performance coach. Howdy crew, welcome back to another episode of Cam and Jord. We have a special guest on today, but firstly, Brownie, how are you? Yeah, going well, Big Jugs. Very excited for this one. We have Mitchell Woods' performance coach on the line with us. Mitchie, thanks very much for teeing this up, mate. Cam and Jord, it is an absolute pleasure to be here. Big day for you today, Mitchie. Manly have their uh, preliminary final against the Rabbitohs tonight. How are you feeling? Oh, look, I'm quietly confident. Um, I read an article in the paper this week talking how Desi's got some sort of um, really out there statistical wizard uh, looking at uh, the how teams are successful. And interestingly, I would never have thought this, but um, teams who complete their sets are, le- are least successful. Mm. So like the doggy, the doggies you yeah. see have a really good completion rate, but they're not successful. Yeah, they don't attack. I've read the same article, I reckon. Oh, you saw it. 2019 yeah. Roosters, not a very good completion rate, but I think it's um, the amount of uh, like uh, out there plays that they're completing, which is, um, you know, really sealing the deal mm. and they're just going mm. for it. So and Manly are probably the, be- Manly the best in the competition at that, I-, I would you would argue. Yeah, I think the stats back that up. Maybe Melbourne have them pipped on the post, but if you took out Manly pre- Tommy Turbo, then Manly would take the bickies. Yeah, yeah. It's probably a good no, question. I'm, I'm, I'm... I'll go, go Mitchie. I was just going to say, a good question to ask you now would be, who would you like to play in the grand final the week after? <laughs> who would I like to play in the grand final the week after? Um, oh, I, you know, I think Penrith. Manly yeah. Penrith grand final. Has that ever Best happened? Day, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think, you know, Melbourne are... Uh, you're a dominant force. They're consistent, um, but it's good to have, you know, different combinations of things happening. And um, we've seen the Melbourne Manly thing for a number of years and be good to yeah. create some other uh, good options as well. Yeah. Oh, well, good luck, Mitchie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I suppose before we get a bit of a background on you, mate, like through your school and, and uni and career path, maybe it'd be good to let the listeners know sort of how, you know, you got in touch with us and, and sort of our relationship at the moment. Yeah, so right now I'm working um, with Cam and Jord on their project called MyPeak and as, as part of the program, which is the Summit Series. So I think we've gone for about 10 weeks and I think 
six out of 10 of those weeks I've been on a Thursday evening on this thing called the summit series. And that's an, an hour long conversation with the, the guys and the girls, those pre elite athletes on the topic of mental, emotional conditioning for sport. And I take the guys and girls through uh, different ideas and concepts of how they can apply those bits of knowledge onto the field to help them perform at their best. Uh, but also a lot of practical stuff. So different meditation techniques, different breathing techniques, all geared to decrease stress so they can access more performance. And another element to that, it's not just you know breathing to calm the nervous system down. We're also looking to uh, invoke certain emotions that are ideal for playing conditions mm. you know generally speaking a happier athlete or a more relaxed athlete performs better so tapping into ways in which we can turn on uh, emotions and feelings uh, when we want them and need them the most on the field is uh, that but you know the relationship that with that my peak goes back all the way to 2012 when when josh laylaw who's uh, another founder of my peak was um i think he just came back from playing cricket county cricket in in england and i was an up-and-coming strength and conditioning coach at the time at cricket new south wales and um just uh, connected with, with josh back then and, and just had each other on social media and i reached out to him a, a number of months ago before he was leading into his next uh, big bash and showed him a few things of what I was up to. And um, not, not that he really took up a lot of those things, but he saw potential in them and um, brought me into the, the My Peak fold. So that's how that's that's how we get connected, boys. Yeah, we're very lucky, Mitchie. We've thoroughly enjoyed your Thursday night meditation sessions and we'll unpack them a little bit later on. But first, do you just want to give the listeners out there, there'll be a few listeners that are on the Summit series and see your face once a week, but do you just want to let everyone know a little bit more about yourself, maybe your school path and then how you progressed out of school? Mm. So my joint journey sort of evolves out of quite an overweight uh, adolescent young Mitchell Woods. Uh, I was always the front row forward in the footy team and, <laughs> and things like that. And, uh, and also, you know, just the nature of going to high school and being overweight, you kind of get picked on and girls don't notice you and all that sort of thing. So <laughs> I guess out of those, out of that, um, those pain points, I decided to change that, and I started running around the block and got pretty good at it. Lost a lot of weight, had a growth spurt, and um, found myself really enjoying footy a lot more because I, mm. I was playing rugby league and union. I, I was pretty decent at union, getting to the breakdown first and causing trouble for the te- the opposing team, or, or just having uh, more fitness to do more with the ball in hand, that sort of stuff. And from there, I, I fell felt pretty passionate about what conditioning and physical training can do for your, uh, your sport. Mm. And naturally I was just more drawn to that. And so through high school, choosing subjects like PDHPE that were more aligned with that. And then uh, a subject, I did a certificate too at TAFE, uh, which was a fitness course, sort of the precursor for what you would do if you're a personal trainer. And I met a guy who's uh, Mick Miller, who's, um, you know, a lifelong friend and mentor of mine. And he was the rehab coordinator at the Seagulls at the time. And he was also doing some teaching at TAFE. And it just uh, really excited me that you could earn a full-time living working in the elite sporting space. So Mm. um, I wasn't really switched on enough in high school. I didn't get a, what was back then called a, um, what was it? Not an ATAR. And it wasn't you know, an ATAR is what I think it is now. I can't, yeah. can't remember what it was back in the day. And so I went and did a personal training, uh, Cert 3 and Cert 4 through TAFE. 
Uh, I ended up getting into a Bachelor of Science after those two years, but the sciencey way that the BSc subjects were were just too hectic for me. I, I um, wasn't a really good mathematician and so on. So I bowed out of that, came back to TAFE, did a diploma, which gave me a bit more credit to get into the degree that I wanted to, which was a little bit more practical uh, at UTS. So I did a Bachelor of Human Movement at UTS. Mm. So that was... Um, 07, 08, 09. And because I had a relationship with Mick, I'd already had that Cert 3 and Cert 4. I was already working in a gym. Uh, and then Mick picked me or uh, suggested I should work for him. And I left my gym job that I was at, started working with Mick at the Royal Prince Alfred Yacht Club at, at his facility while he was also still doing the stuff at the Seagulls. And uh, he was really big on, on getting me to do internships and getting experience. So I was blessed to have an internship at the Seagulls for that um, first year of uni then I went down to Cronulla Sharks with a friend of mine who's no longer with us James Walsh rest in peace he um, was a beautiful mentor for me at the, at the Sharkies and then also um, third year I had the practical subject you have for uni which is a placement um, through a guy called Rob Brown who was the uh, manager of the Australian sailing team at the time he hooked us up with an internship at Canberra I stayed down there uh, for for a month and learned and then just having the practical skills and those internships uh, open another door, which was to do my honours degree as a strength and power internship coach at the Sydney Swans. Uh, so I wrote a, a thesis on improving jump performance in elite Australian rules footballers. And, you know, that, and the year after is sort of where I met Josh as, a, as a, my first paid job as a strength and conditioning coach at Cricket New South Wales. So that's that sort of background there. But, but I think there's a sort of sub story to that as well. You know, middle of uni 2008, I had a snowboarding crash and smashed my hip into a tree mm. and it really um, stuffed up my body and I couldn't move and do the things that I wanted to do. And, you know, having that dream of being an elite strength and conditioning coach, uh, I still persevered with that dream, but slowly and steadily my joint was deteriorating. And um, I, I think if, you know, you're, you're an athlete or you're, you're a coach in a physical space and you can't move and do the things that you want to do. You, you just know you're a bit underdone. Mm. And anyway, to deal with that sort of um, me having to potentially let go of that dream of being a strength and conditioning coach, I learned how to meditate and it just helped me with a lot of the anger and the frustration and helped me dip a lot more into the acceptance of who I was and what I was. And I got so much out of that, that then I started teaching other people that, and uh, I've been, teaching people since 2014 uh how to use their breath to meditate because it's so integral uh for your performance you know everyone knows how to push the body and, and thrash people but in elite teams the science is really in the recovery and i'm a big um, believer that um you know different breathing modalities and meditation are, are great for performance yes but they're also a great uh, recovery modality so that's sort of my little swing into um you know how you find me today yeah that's an incredible resume there mitchy mm. some of the things that you've obviously achieved um with through your internships and the experience you would have got there would have been yeah so invaluable so no really impressive i got a quick question for you mitchy so you said you did uni and a bit of tafe and then you did some interns where do you mm. reckon you'll learn most of your stuff do you reckon you'll learn it in the classroom or you'll learn it out in the placements Oh, I think you probably can't have one without the other, especially mm. as a strength and conditioning coach, because these days you have to have a big, you have to have a really decent sports science capacity mm. to interpret data, correlate data, you know, um, prove what you're doing, etc. 
but I more often than not, I'll probably say in the field is where I learned more because you're trying to get the best out of people mm. and numbers can only take you so far. Mm. So, you know, I'll probably come a bit more old school where, you know, potentially I might be wrong. A lot of the new cats are really just looking at data, but you know, I've Mick Miller helped me become like a sniper of movement. You know, I can see people moving on a gym floor in a certain way that, a lot of um, young guys and girls that are coming out of the university can't see it. And that's a subject that I've worked on. I've worked on the uh, placement subject at the university technology as a um, sport and exercise science supervisor um, with the prac subject. So yeah, um, um, the, the practical is huge. And um, I, I dare say you can't get away without getting your hands dirty, if you know what I mean. Mm, yeah. I battled my way through a sport and exercise degree and I found mm. exactly that. Once I got out in the field, once you got the background knowledge, knowing where to apply it and having those real life experiences where I learned a lot more stuff beyond the classroom. Yeah, Mitchie, agreed, mate. Minchie, you sort of skimmed over it a little bit with your uh, incident. Was that in 2008, did you say? Yeah. Yeah. And for those that don't know, uh, Mitchie unpacked his incident a little, bit, a little bit on his podcast, the Love Over Fear podcast. So, Mitchie, I'll drop that in the uh, blurb on this podcast so people can click on that and uh, see some more of what, you, what you've got to offer. But I want to unpack that incident a little bit more. Firstly, like, what were you doing over on the ski trip? Are you, like, you know, low-key, some kind of Olympian skier? Like, what are you doing? Was it just, like, a little bit of fun? Were you training? Who were you there with? And sort of what, what was the moment after you've had this crash? How long were you sort of laying in the snow? What was it like? That's a great question. I don't get asked that too much. So it's good to go back there. I appreciate that. Uh, I was over there with 30 boys from Davidson High School at some point. I think we had 20 something of us living in one four bedroom house at a time there as well. So it was just uh, a couple of guys had gone over and done a season. And then I wanted to go and do what they were doing because Facebook was just a brand new thing. And you could see these pictures going up and I was just getting envy. So... (laughs) got some money together and uh, it was in yeah it was just in the end of the year so i'd done my first year of uni and then went over there for for a holiday uh eight or nine weeks i was over there for didn't work just um had a had a pass at um this mountain called silver star which is uh in british columbia and we we also bought a car at a point there and kind of like the beaches on the northern beaches it's like there's there's snow parks everywhere in british columbia and you can drive and have amazing experiences so that's all what that was all about just um partying and um snowboarding but one day i was going down this um thin sort of um mountain bike track and if you've ever been snowboarding anywhere and you know obviously in the summer season the mountain bikers get into those areas and in the winter those little tracks fill in and they've got berms and they're pretty cool to hit but I came around on a hillside edge and, you know, I'm no Olympian at snowboarding. Uh, I was too deep into my heels and I just couldn't switch back onto my toes. And there was a tree there and I literally just sort of careered my hip into it. Not super fast, but fast enough to like, you know, really knock me about. And I just laid there on the ground there for in five minutes. I thought I'd broken my femur uh, and I just like just started moving my leg and, just getting over the shock of it all and just sort of got myself back up on my feet and just did a few squat movements and realized that I hadn't broken anything. Uh, And and really the the weirdness of that was I I had a bruised hip and it was a bit banged up and and I snowboarded the rest of the season. It wasn't a major deal. I just sort of had a bit of, bit of hip soreness, but it wasn't until I came back to the Australian summer 
started personal training people, multi-directional lunges, loaded squats, you know, just putting all these different uh, types of load into the hip and just sometimes at a catch and it felt like someone shot me with a rifle every now and again, mm. which little did I know that was some uh, torn labral cart- cartilage in my hip. And one day I went to see, uh, I was seeing this physio to, to work on it for a while. Shout out to Pete Hunt at um, UNSW physio there. And he had a surgeon come in. He was, they were looking at hips and he had me as sort of like a test dummy. And the surgeon just put me into hip flexion and turned my hip internally internally, and just said, oh, mate, you're going to need hip surgery, like just from one movement. Uh-huh. And I'll never forget that day. And I was just shattered. And, you know, a couple of months later, I'm on the table getting a hip arthroscope. And, yeah, as soon as you take cartilage out of a place like that, um, it really degenerates. And um, I tried to play touch footy a few times and did a lot of stupid things that I shouldn't have and ended up getting into cycling, which was good, but even that deteriorated over time. So Mm. having using the body as such a physical outlet for my mental health and my fitness and just my general passion, like I I loved it, all of it. I loved you know, still playing touch footy with my mates and, and the regression of my physical capacity. Yeah, it was a really challenging time. So Mitch, at this point, sort of when the, um, uh, when the physio or the doctor that was testing on you with that hip rotation said that you're going to need surgery, you hadn't found meditation at this point. Is that right? Correct. So at that point there, can you give us a bit of a rundown on some of those thoughts that are flooding through your mind? Like, what did you feel like you were never going to do again? How did you feel like you were going to get your mental health sorted? I'd like to know sort of that inside Mitchie's head at that point. Another good question, mate. I think I probably went numb, to be honest. I probably didn't feel anything, which isn't good. Uh, and I probably have moments where I'd get angry and frustrated with really simple things. Like, mm. I don't know, maybe... Um, trying to put a key on a key ring, just, just anything that's not working. And I'd get really angry and frustrated by simple things, not going my way, being frustrated, sitting in traffic. Um, and just this overall dissatisfaction with, you know, me wanting to be elite strength and conditioning coach and then just being still working through my degree and then training just sort of general population people. Mm. Um, I just sort of, I wasn't as, as happy with, with those people. and just not myself it was it was just a it was just all encompassing mate like it, it, i couldn't have scripted any worse of a of a, an extended period of time because the pain wasn't excruciating it was just there all the time and, mm. and could be made worse with more movements so it was almost like someone just poking you every day saying you know you can't do this anymore you can't do this like what are you going to do and the, the surgeon also said you're gonna have to change career so wow. I'm halfway through a degree. I've done these internships. I've invested all my, I busted my butt to get into uh, uni after TAFE, like this whole journey year, like that's probably three years to get to that point. And some got, and the surgeon's like, oh yeah, you need to change careers to something yeah, that's wow. a bit more um, sedentary. And I was like, no way, no way can I do that. And I didn't, I kept pushing myself, probably not to inspire him, but I just, I know that sport is what I'm going to be doing forever. I just know that. Mm. And um, yeah, I guess it's an example of don't let anyone tell you what you can and can't do. Yeah. You hear the doctors get it wrong a lot of times and they try and give people advice on what they're going to do after they get Mm. diagnosed with a certain 
injury or a condition or whatnot, you see, you hear a lot of stories about people that were told something and they've gone out and done the exact opposite thing within the matter of weeks or months. You've defied the odds, Mitchie. Well done. Yeah. Uh, I, I can see what he's saying. Like if you, if you're, in, if you've envisaging a, a personal trainer or someone who's running laps with someone around an oval, or they're doing burpees and this, that, and the other, um, I could see what he was saying, but yeah, it's just, a, it's another great example, like as a coach or a leader or a teacher or a mentor, especially with young people, you really need to watch what you're saying because you don't know how what you say could crush a dream or change someone's trajectory. Mm. So it's, I'm really mindful of that when I'm, when I'm speaking to people. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Mitchie, what we do a little bit on this podcast, we'll move on a bit is um, we sort of have six pillars of health that we talk about a lot being physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, social. And then we've added sort of one in with the business side through my peak, but also sort of a work-life healthy relationship slash balance. Just mm-hmm. quickly, do you want to run through maybe what those six mean to you and sort of maybe rank maybe the importance of them, not necessarily in order, but what you might prioritize at certain times? You'll have to help me, bro, on the, on the order. What's the first one? So you got physical, mental, emotional. That's right. Let's, let's start with physical. I mean, we just spoke about physical. I think you, you have to be in a good place within your body. Uh, my mind just goes to like, everyone's happy to go out and train and push themselves. One, one thing that I value and I, I've done with a lot of my athletes and clients over the years is the value of releasing tissue either on a, over on a foam roller or massage because you're only as good as you can move. If that makes sense. Mm. Like if you don't have the range and the mobility, eventually the strength and the cardio you're putting on a body that can't uptake movement is going to have its limits. And uh, I value the, the mobility and release work stuff really highly, because if you look at the, you know, like a pyramid sort of thing, that mobility and stability capacity is, is what lines the bottom of your pyramid and just so super essential to have that. So being in the body and being able to move is crucial. Uh, I mean, they're all as important. I mean, we've gone through the values on the summit series. For me, one of my values is, you know, my health and definitely um, physical movement is right up there. Like there's nothing more important than being able to move and and coming from someone who's had two hip surgeries, like I've had basically a hip replacement in 2018, which was 10 years after that 2008 snowboarding crash. Um, Once it starts to go, you know, it's, um, it's a pretty sad thing. So we all got to work on that. The mental, emotional, same thing if not more because it drives the physical yeah Mm. so everything we talk about on the summit series everything i talk about with with people in my business is like getting your mind right to access as as much of yourself as you humanly can so you can feel good if you feel good you're going to create better actions um so that's what i would sort of say about that it's it's equally as important what's that third pillar there though you got then you've got like spiritual social and then the business side too so the spiritual thing, you know, I grew up as a young Catholic boy and I wasn't really invested in um, uh, much of that. I, it didn't really click with me the way it was sold. Mm-hmm. However, via um, meditation, it's definitely enhanced my spirituality in the sense that I'm pretty deeply connected to what I feel is there's something a lot bigger than me out there. Mm-hmm. That there's, there's moments in my life that, you just can't script that 
like there's some sort of divine uh, working at play. And, it, and my belief is that if you can get yourself in great alignment, you know, with your energy, um, you know, within yourself, you sort of connect to that that energy that's bigger than you in a in a more efficient way, and you get to work with the universe or God or whatever you want to call it in a more efficient manner. So, meditation's really um, taken me to a new level of of finding what my version of spirituality is. Mm. Um, so I've really enjoyed that because I used to really push and drive and strive just on my own, but now I feel like there's a there's a there's an energy out there that's really supporting me if i can support myself yeah that's well said because i think when you hear when a lot of people hear spiritual they instantly connect it to like religion and Mm. faith but i think it's there's more like you've just unpacked there michi there's more to it than that and people can connect to it in different ways and at different times in their lives as well Mm. i think you know some great movies on my how i love the force you know it's like the matrix is epic I think Kung Fu Panda is really good. Mm. Um, and, you know, uh, also Star Wars, you know, the idea of the force. I'm one mm. with the force, the force is with me or whatever that guy says. <laughs> um, just there is an energy out there and you, you can work with it. Uh, but first and foremost, you've got to start with your own energy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Mitchy, obviously, I mean, one that's probably a bit tough right now is, is probably your social health. I know you obviously value your family time so much. We speak often on the summit series about you putting Hermione to bed two minutes before you're about to jump on with 80 or 90 athletes. So where does sort of your social health rank among, among all the others? Yeah, look, it's probably taken a back seat in the last 18 months, but I'm in a group chat on Facebook with um, my mates that were in my bridal party. Um, so there's always a bit of just ridiculous banter going on in there, which is funny to see. And one guy likes the Roosters, one guy likes Souths, another guy likes Ooh. the Broncos, and two of us like um, Manly. So there's a bit of footy chat and um, obviously a bit of COVID banter as well, which is is funny. Um, and, yeah, you know, I'm with my family all the time, really. So mm. uh, in, a, in a way, I'm, I think – school's a beautiful thing because it gives the kids a break to go and learn and do their thing and the parents some, some space to uh, be better parents so looking forward walking very much forward to that sort of thing happening uh, but like I'm saying you know if you if you're in a good spot like a friend of mine uh, who I've known for a long long time he just reached out and said mate um, do you want to start cycling again so you guys have seen me cycling or you know seen um, that I've been cycling uh you know he just called us up and you know i borrowed a a bike which was really generous of a client to donate to me just to just to have a use and mm. we've just been cycling this sort of 30-ish kilometer lap of uh, part of the national park near where we live and that's been a beautiful moment so i think like all things in life it's it's what you want to make out of it mm. um the the restrictions in sydney you know while they were compressing in some ways uh find your way um kind of like what penrith did with the rules the other week boys with their trainer you just got to find your ways with the rule book and and lean into that a little bit so you know you can still exercise outdoors and all that sort of stuff so um yeah family and and friends um but you know probably a bit more forced into family in recent times as a focus point Mm, thanks for that little dig there Mitch. (laughs) that's all right thought you boys enjoy that and just to clarify too, Geordie is converted to Penrith now too. It's official. 
anyone listening out there. He used to be a Newcastle supporter, but he's jumped on the bandwagon and at least until the Knights turn up again. <laughs> uh, you just still you... hanging. He's still hanging on to that '97 Grand Final, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I've well and truly moved on. Go bizarre. Um, so, Mitch, you've spoken a lot about sort of you up to this point. Um, you know, a lot of background on you with the incident and, and your study and things like that. I'd like to know, we obviously know the Summit Series, Mitch, and I know the Mitch Monday Night Meditation Group, but what does your sort of week entail, Mitch? How do you, you've obviously, you know, worked for yourself and things like that. How do you sort of run your your weekly work schedule and things like that? What are you involved in? Um, recently, you know, been doing a cycling session twice a week early. So that's like a Monday, Friday thing. Um and they're sort of like my little fitness things at the moment. And work usually for me, um, you know, seeing it, I still do some physical work with people as well as combining the non-physical. Sometimes it's a bit of a blend. Sometimes it's purely non-physical. A, a lot in COVID, uh, I'm having online sessions with younger 20-year-old guys. I found myself doing a lot of uh, mentoring um, for, for, for that younger bracket of people. So, but, but for me, really, it's like, typically eight o'clock um, seeing clients either out in the, in, you know, outdoors uh, or people are converting outdoor spaces at their properties to, you know, have me around there, which has been really amazing. And, and, or like, you know, yesterday I had a, an online client in the car, in the client's driveway. And then I've got the outdoor session at that person's place. Uh, wow. And then I'm back in the car on the laptop running a, um, a wellness session for, you know, over 10 people um, for a corporate company. So mm. it varies from individuals uh, on a mental, emotional level. There, there's some people with, with rehab stuff, which I'm pretty um, skilled at these days, helping them out. And then the online corporate stuff. And um, then usually in the afternoon, I'm swapping with Taryn and she's trying to do some work and, and I'm with the kids most afternoons, cooking dinner and making sure the dishes are packed away at the end of the day. I'm banging out those kind of reps on, from a Monday to Friday and then, the weekends is Taryn has a day to do her work and I'm with the kids all Saturday and Sunday we're together as a family. Awesome. Good teamwork. Yeah. Brilliant. Mm. All right. Let's get stuck into some of the good stuff, the gold that you do on a daily basis, Mitchie. First thing, I think it's something that a lot of people might be thinking while they're listening to you talk about meditation, but what is meditation, Mitchie? What exactly is it? What sort of maybe a definition and, and some examples of it? That's a really good question like to, to, to exactly pinpoint what meditation is. I would say in a, in a general sense, what most people are looking for when they go on the journey of meditation is to start to build skills and techniques that can quiet the mind and ultimately also drive a lower feeling of, of stress in their body and their mind. Uh, so that's, what I suppose most people are going after and you know there's lots of things that can happen just on those two points like just say one of the techniques we taught the kids in the summit series was um, just nose breathing and, and mindfulness nose breathing and being aware of the breath coming and going from the nose from moment to moment so I did a thing called Vipassana which is a 10-day meditation <clears throat> uh, retreat and you know, you're not talking to anyone. You're not making eye contact with anyone. Wow. You're only 
you're only eating veg vegetarian meals, you're only having two meals a day, and you're meditating for 10 hours a day. Oh, it's wow. incredible. And for 10 um, days straight. Yeah. And that was sort of um, before I became a father. I just wanted to do that because I knew I wasn't going to get any time after I became a father from what people <laughs> told me. And I knew I just wanted to go and go to another level before I became a dad. And that was a huge motivator for me. Um, and so I guess it just, you know, from my experience, I, I tailor the meditation and, and like we do on the, um, the summit series to be more than just calming the mind and decreasing stress. Ultimately I've used meditation and with myself and others to find a way to access more of who we are. Mm. And, and what I mean by that, I think you're born into a society, you're raised by a certain uh, idea from your parents and depending on what that looks like, it kind of shapes who you are. And, you know, there's a lot of people walking around doing things they don't like doing and they're not inspired by them. And, when you can uh, break through the fears within yourself by connecting to a lot more deeper, authentic, truthful place within yourself. And then the goal is to then start acting from that place. Meditation is a way that I, I've found that to be a key to, to finding that within yourself. Um, and also then the nature of your thoughts, like instead of just having a mind that wanders all over the place, you're actually cultivating a, a mindset <clears throat> that you have control over and thoughts that you want to have in certain situations. I think I've told you boys in year eight, I had a public speaking thing to do in front of the class and you had to do the creative writing piece. And I was just a shattering mess. I didn't look up from the piece of paper. Mm. I just read word from word. My hands are shaking. I'm sweating. I'm clammy, you know, to years later being able to, um, present, you know, at a national conference at the sport and exercise science association conference, um, about improving jump performance in elite, elite Australian rules footballers. And I was a meditator by then and just having the skills to calm my body and calm my mind to access my tools and techniques and the things that I'd learned. And then to be able to present them like that's such a journey of being mindful to, mm -hmm. to be able to do that. And that's why I'm so passionate about it for sport. It's like, um, you know, you watch Jonathan Thurston when he was kicking those goals. It's like, he's just so composed. Whereas, you know, you get a rookie who's stepping up to win a grand final kick against the Cowboys, something like that. They might not have the um, ability to just stay with their process and access yeah. their skills because the mind becomes overriding and maybe the, the, the wording or the, the, the way in which that person speaks to themselves is a bit out of control and, and so on. So I don't know, does that answer your question, boys? Is a bit of an insight into the general idea of it and, and what I believe is possible from that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before we go on, I just want to pull the handbrake up there. Make sure we haven't scared anyone away thinking they have to go and meditate for 10 hours a day and <laughs> go into ve veganism or vegetarianism or whatever. But that sounds like a very in-depth uh, monk course that you were doing there, Mitchie. Seems very, very crazy, very full on. I want to go back to that for a second. How did you find that process? How did you stay sort of so mindful? How did you stay so focused, you know, doing those things for 10 hours a day? Well, I suppose you, you don't do something, you know, unless you're enjoying it to a point. Like, yeah, it's tough, but it's kind of like you boys and your marathon training. Like, it's not fun as such to run 42Ks all the time. There's going to be 
bits where it's like really good and some sometimes where you're like, oh, I really just don't feel like doing this. But ultimately, I knew that I wasn't being myself and that, you know, at job interviews, I was red in the face and I just didn't feel comfortable being me. I just, yeah. it was just a really, you know, if, if I'd ever do something wrong in a work situation, I'd feel like really bad and I'd feel like I wasn't good enough. I mean, that's what I've been sort of trying to fix the idea that that fault, that face, that false fear or that false idea that I wasn't good enough. And I just knew that I wanted to feel whole within myself. And the more that I meditated, the more I, I let go of negative thoughts and feelings and emotions and kept coming to the center of myself and meditation enables you to do that. Um, I just knew I had to be there because it was just so uncomfortable to be within myself. If, if that answers your question. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. I reckon if we can get a bit deeper into that, Mitch, you too, and talk about the stages when you started to meditate and maybe talk about the differences or the benefits you felt once you started to meditate more often. Mm. Mm. So after the initial initial snowboarding crash and all that mental trauma I was going through, I learned how to do um, uh, like a mantra based meditation where you, you say a phrase over in your head. And my teacher would say, it's like a, you know, if you can't see this, I'm gesturing like a looping down towards the bottom, or if you've got like a, a, an ocean, you're kind of dropping down into a more calm and refined part of your mind. And so that was sort of the art of that. And uh, you'd sit there and you'd, you'd say the mantra and your mind would wander off and you'd come back to the mantra and you'd just do that over and over again. And every time you connected to the mantra um, and, and aligned yourself with that, you'd be drawn into more of a refined and calm part within your mind. So I did that for a number of years. And, you know, I, I was always excited to share and learn new techniques so i had a mentor and she was very much a big advocate for that vipassana i think she'd done about five tours of 10 days wow. you can also serve like because there's not a lot of money involved in that thing it's all donation based so you can mm. go and serve the people who are meditating and it just sounded intriguing and um i always believe that yeah i could achieve more from within myself instead of you know looking externally to the world as such so uh, did that for a number of years um, and then you know in the last three years more of uh, the, the heart math and if you're interested in heart math you look up you know heartmath.com or google the heart math institute and they've really researched and created a lot of science around the art of what um, breathing and working with the heart can do on your nervous system and in terms of uh, activating positive emotions and that's I love that because I come from a sports science background and when I'm working with an athlete I'm coaching them and giving them a window into understanding uh, what's happening on, within their physiology for, by the way we can measure heart rate variability, um, of which I know is coming up here because I did a lot of that in Kentucky from an assessment mm. place uh, on the sports science team uh, over in that college system. So, yeah, journey from the, the, the mantra base to the breathing to now what is the heart mass stuff, which is breathing and also more of an emotional um, uh, driving idea as well. Yeah. I just want to, want to try and do a little bit of an ex explanation on that. We're talking to Josh later last night after the summit series. And this question sort of stems from him a little bit. He spoke about how, when he was at cricket, New South Wales after, and Cam can probably help me as I go here, 
they used to, after a big weekend or your weekend in sport or a huge load at training, you'd get on some kind of scales that would uh, weigh your jump or like manage the force that you were putting through the ground. And um, he said that that would then give them basically a schedule or it would, it would indicator. Tell, yeah, an indicator on how much load you could do that week in the gym or running, et cetera, et cetera. But then he said that the heart math um, that you were sort of doing with the Kentucky basketball team could do something very similar with their breathing that they could pick up sort of the physiology and the, and the levels of breathing through the heart math. Then you were able to have that indicator purely through that rather than the force plate. Is that right? Does that make sense? Am I on the money? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So in a sports science setting, as I said, that they're, they're looking at trying to figure out um, what the best recovery modality is. And so what Josh is talking about, he's talking about a neurological jump. So it's a counter movement jump, it's body weight. And you, you try, you, you measure that regularly, you know, every time yeah. your athlete comes in the morning to, the, to play or whether they're doing a training day, there'll be a, a wellness regime and a neurological jump in elite environment is pretty sort of standard stuff. Now, you, after you do an, a certain amount of jumps, you'll have a, a mean scale of data. And if you shift, you know, say you do a lower jump, it, it's an indicator into, you know, where your nervous system is neurologically and, and what kind of preparedness your body has um, for training. And so, you know, if you're a fast bowler and you've bowled heaps, um, you know, you're going to be showing signs, um, you know, from one week competition plus training to the next. And it's just a way for coaches to understand that in Kentucky, uh, there's a company called uh, that has this program called Omega wave. And, and what it does is it's another gateway to understanding your physiology on a deeper level than just the, the neurological jump that I just spoke of. So you have a thing called heart rate variability, and that's a very common metric used to gain an, a window into understanding what's happening within your nervous system, meaning that your heart rate variability has variance. There's a, there's a changing degree of what's happening in the heart between every beat to beat. So there's high variability, which means there's a speeding up and a slowing down between each heartbeat. And there's low variability, which means there is no change between each heartbeat. Now, ideally, you want to have high variance, high HRV, which shows that there is a little bit more of a parasympathetic rest and recovery digest part of your nervous system active, as well as some sort of sympathetic nervous system balance. So it's imagine you've got like a seesaw. You want your nervous system to be having an equal input of the speeding up and the slowing down. And that's what that speeding up and slowing down different gap between each heartbeat gives us. And then so if you've got an athlete who's trained too much, they stayed up too late, they've partied too much, say like in a college system, they'll come in in the morning and we'll be able to see that their nervous system is in a fight or flight nervous system dominant space. That's generally wow. speaking. What you want to see is that um, someone has really good um, HRV tone and there is that balance within the nervous system, which shows that they've recovered from the day's previous training and then we can go again. And what they were looking to do at Kentucky, and there's a, there's a paper by a mate of mine over there, Chris Morris, talks about fluid periodization. Uh, and you can check out him and his paper if you want to get really sciencey on it. But basically, everyone's an individual. They respond differently to every different stimulus, stress, schoolwork, family, training stimulus, work stimulus, all this stuff. And by you know, using one of those measures, 
which is that um, heart rate variability to gain that insight into what's what's happening to that person, you can then start to chip away and look at if the heart rate variability isn't in a good place, well, what can we do to influence that? Yeah. And so what they started to do over in Kentucky was if someone was really stressed out and their nervous system was out of alignment, they would um, do some breathing and look to create a more of an idealistic pattern. Now I'd known about meditation because that's 2014, the time I'm talking about. I've been meditating since 2008 and really passionate about the mind, thoughts, breathing, feeling, and, and what, that, what effect that has on the nervous system. But also if you had someone who wasn't in a good space, you could put that in there to help them get back into alignment for a day at training or a better day on the field. Um, and that's just talking from pure physiology and, and preparedness. So I hope that answers your question, Lance. Yeah. Is that where you first stumbled across the heart math, Mitchy, when you got to Kentucky? No, interestingly enough, through that um, the, trans, the transcendental um, mantra-based meditation mob, they had this thing called the Conscious Club. And so they'd have like a, a meeting where everyone would come and meet and meditate, but they'd always have like a, a cool keynote sort of speaker. And mm. one time they had these cats in from heart math and yeah, it always just caught my attention because they're doing really, um, really interesting things, you know, measuring um, different fields in the planet to gain an understanding of how, um, you know, we're all, basically we're all just, atoms floating around yeah so we're just energy and there's different frequencies of energy and so they're really into measuring uh the effects of different frequencies of the people and, and the planet and it just really captivated me in, you know their research into the heart and you know because you know when you get your heart rate measured it, or like it's a pqrst wave it's that doo -doo, doo -doo, like it's got a, an electrical frequency. Therefore, it, it, it admits a, um, you know, a field, an electromagnetic magnetic field outside of itself. And so, you know, when you walk into a room and it's high vibe, you, you walk in there and you go, this feels like a good place to be. And they're just sort of trying to work out what is that? What's the science around that? Whereas if you go into a locker room and everyone's a bit sad after a, a grand final loss, you know what that feels like. It feels heavy. It feels a bit um you know less vibration and you know there's there's science emerging to to show what that higher frequency is and how you can work with it and that's what we've been doing with the the guys and girls in the summit series to increase people's vibrations so they can perform at their best yeah that's awesome and when you got to kentucky too just before we move on what was your role over there mitchy what was your job well, it was, just, it was just an intern thing. I had this job at the North Sydney Olympic pool as a health and fitness coordinator and running a gym and a personal training team. And this was just after I'd finished at Cricket New South Wales uh, and at another of um, another uh, bunch of jobs that I had as a strength and conditioning coach. And I was just desperate to have some stability and, and earn some money, but I, I didn't like it. And uh, the moment I wasn't in sport, I just knew I wanted to get back into sport. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think the previous year I'd been to a, uh, a presentation where the guys from Florida state came over to do a presentation with the greater Western Sydney giants. And I was there and listened to the Prezzo and um, just went and shook the guy's hands from uh, Florida state. One of which ended up getting the head of performance role at Kentucky. And we stayed in touch. And as soon as he got the role and, I said, mate, if there's an opening, can I come over and just learn? He just said, yeah. So I sold my car, quit my job. My now wife 
quit her job and we went over to see if we could make a life over in Kentucky. And um, the reason I'd sort of thrown all that in, I knew there was an Aussie guy from Tassie who'd just done this same thing, but at Florida State with these guys. And uh, he eventually ended up with a full-time role at Jacksonville Jaguars. And I was sort of hoping that I'd go over and intern and make a good impression. And mm. because Australia is so much more uh, deeply routed in sports science, it's not very, it's more of a common thing now than it was back in 2014, have a bit of an X factor and um, make a career of it over there. So um, yeah, I just fell into the sports science area because I'd written a paper on jump performance. I knew I'd done GPS sessions I'd um, use linear transducers, which is a, a thing that measures your power when you're jumping and throwing and force plates. And yeah, just ended up in the sports science thing. That's, and then they were doing this measurement stuff with the heart rate variability through the uh, Omega wave stuff. And I just love all that measurement and understanding where people are within, the, within their nervous system. So I just gravitated towards that. Yeah. Awesome. Did you, so you've sort of jumped through some different industries, like you've done NRL, You've done cricket and then you went over to America. Did you find like much of a difference between different sporting industries or different between Australia and America? Or was it all pretty, pretty similar? Yeah, it's all pretty different. Um, it, it is. So yeah. r- rugby league um, is just a different beast. It's just, um, it's a more of a physical sport. It attracts, you know, that type of character. Um, but also it has a lot to do with, you know, a lot the, the rugby league heartland is, you know, Western Sydney, mm. you know, you're bringing kids from that type of environment. Whereas the reality is when I'm at Eastern suburbs, rugby, they're all, um, private school boys, mainly on the, on the Eastern suburbs area. So it's, it's just different. And then, um, cricket's probably a mix of both, depending on which mm. club team you're at. You know, obviously Sydney Uni, different to Penrith. You guys know that. It's just different characters coming from different places and different backgrounds. And the sports are just all examples of, you know, where their heartland and breeding grounds are. And you look at American football uh, in, in Kentucky, the southern states are just producing, you know, all these really amazing, uh, talented, you know, African-American young men. Uh, and a lot of those guys are in, in the south, um, you know, of America and they, that's where that huge pool of athletes come from. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I've got a few topics that I reckon would be awesome to get your insights on, Mitchie. The first one that I've, I've listened to your podcast and you've delved into it with a few of your uh, guests, but I'd love to delve into sort of in cricket, there's a lot of times where people talk about, oh, I'm just not in form or they say, oh, I'm in great form. This sort of, idea around form i'd love to get your insights into what you think around players that come to you and say i'm not in form or i'm not in form because of a b or c this is such a great question (laughs) i'll I'll give you guys a question have you known me to be of any different level of energy every time we've spoken or i've been presenting is there a difference no not at all so I believe what I've been cultivating and it goes back to the Mitchell that didn't think he was good enough. I'm always in the state of feeling good enough and believing in myself now that you can take me anywhere and put me in front of anyone. I'm going to be able to speak like this and talk like this and access me and my story and my dreams and the things that I didn't do well and the things that I did do well, et cetera, et cetera, and just stay connected 
And that connected spot is what I've spent a lot of time in with meditation and created that relationship with myself internally and that external force that we spoke, spoke about before that, that spiritual part. If you're aligned within, you, you're also aligned externally and everything just starts to flow a lot more. Mm. And so I would say anyone who comes to you, who's talking about themselves in, in a negative fashion, meaning oh, I'm out of form, I would say they've stopped believing in themselves. They've, they've, they've come across, I'm not good enough. And this, you know, that, but in a, in a different version, right? Yeah. Um, they, they think that they basically pinch themselves off from who they are mm. because everyone's amazing. Like you're, you're just this beautiful, unique, one of a kind. No one's had your journey. No one's had your experiences. Like you're so perfect in, in your creation um, that, I think people lose sight of that. And like a lot of the guys and girls on the um, summit series talk about, they talk about like a, a selector, they talk about a coach, they talk about a parent. They're talking about all these things that are external to them. They're also talking about, oh, I, I, I didn't make as many runs. It's another external factor. Like we're, we're getting, and that's easy to do. There's so much of life, the, the phones that kids have access to, the TV shows, and how we survive is, is based a lot on comparison. I'm not comparing myself to anything. I'm just basing it on a feeling. If I feel good, I feel good. And then I let everything roll from that. And life just gets better and better and better. It gets easier and easier and easier when mm -hmm. you're connected to yourself on that level. So I think to sum that answer up, the, the person's probably disconnected from who they are and they can't see the greatness of who they are within themselves. And then part B is that, they're stuck in an external perspective of themselves through the lens of someone else's eyes. Yeah. And I think to go on from that too, a lot of the time when you hear people say they're out of form, they go searching for those answers. And like you just said, often those answers are external things, not internal things. Mm. And how many times do you need to plant your front foot down and get your elbow up? <laughs> Like if you, you know, like I, yeah. I've, I've worked with an elite sailor and we've had this conversation. It's like, how, mate, how many times do you need to round the top mark? Like, yes, there's little, little tiny things. And I know you guys are more experts in planting the foot and getting the elbow up. And that's just a general <laughs> uh, little tie in there to cricket. But it's more about how you put your foot down and how you put your elbow up that makes a difference. Do you do it from fear or do you do it from love? And, and compassion and, and power and empathy within yourself. Like, I think it's, it's how you do it and why you're doing it mm. that makes all the difference. Um, and and it's, it's just not as simple as moving your body. It's just the energy of which the intentionality of why you're doing everything mm. and, and what the feeling is that you're looking to maintain and cultivate while you're doing what you're doing. Mm, that's a great answer. Yeah. Brilliant. I think, Mitchie, it works in perfectly moving forward. If people wanted to sort of be in a similar energy to you or see the world in a similar perspective, um, how can they sort of best start their meditation, sort of early stages? And then sort of leading on from that question, what kind of results are they going to see from consistent meditation, whether that be like physiology or just external results? I think um, when you're starting out, <clears throat> just like anything, if it's cricket or it's business 
or it's meditation, <clears throat> pardon me, boys. Um, you need to find someone who you uh, believe in first and, and someone you can look up to. You're always going to need a mentor. Mm. So someone who's walked the walk. And I'll, I'll chuck in a story here. So I've been meditating for a number of years. And the other year, like my mother passed away. My second child was born two weeks after that. Um, Hermione, not too long after that, went to hospital with bronchiolitis. My grandma passed away. Like just all these things just happen in this period of time. Mm -hmm. And um, I was speaking to a, a friend of mine. You know, usually it's post-traumatic stress syndrome. I think that's what they call it. But out of that period, I, I came into post-traumatic growth. Like I went to another level. So like, I don't come here sitting here and saying like, I'm accessing like, you know, positivity because I've walked this like golden road. I've had, I've had heaps of struggles, you know, the Mitchell who didn't think he was good enough. Like I didn't get a contract renewal at the Swans. I was devastated. I didn't get a contract renewal at Cricket New South Wales. I was devastated. Um, I didn't end up pulling up, didn't end up getting the job that I wanted to in Kentucky. I found out I was going to be a dad, in fact, over there. No job, no money, no car, no nothing. Having to come home and be a dad in nine months' time without anything that I thought I would have when I thought I was going to become a dad. Mm. Um, my two surgeries, my hip, that ongoing pain for 10 years, like I had to overcome all of this. And so, you know, you need to find people that have actually gone through a few things um, and that, that you oh wow like i believe in the way that he's talking now that he's going to be able to help me convert the things that i'm going through so that that answers your your first part um the science in meditation is pretty clear you meditate enough either one of those uh, modalities that i've shared that i've been on you can change the arctic the 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 brain you can um grow and create new neural pathways and set up different trajectories in ways that you can thought uh, think sorry and and turn on different um uh different pathways of the brain to, to fire in that appropriate manner uh, a cool thing with the heart mass stuff is they talk about a new baseline a new baseline of your uh ability to deal with moment to moment stress so if you're doing this heart math meditation every day and let's say there's a stimulus of eight stress that you're subjected to today if you meditate for six weeks this is scientifically shown your perception of that same stressful event will be significantly less the next time you come across it uh stuff like that um the, the idea that you put your nervous system into a recovered state so like let's use an athlete or example let's use a cricketer fast bowler he's he's they've, they've got to tea and he's done a big spell a lot of output it's like oh i'm going to go into some meditation here it's like the nervous system can then dive into recovery let's say you don't do that over a long period of time and it's no fluke that athletes are staying in the game longer why are they staying in the game longer because of amazing strength and conditioning and recovery protocols etc and now this is going to be the next big thing that teams are going to be employing me for to come in and, and add that dimension, not only for a mental, emotional capacity, but also that, that healing and, and regenerative nature of getting the nervous system out of that fight or flight stress state. And, um, you know, you can turn on different hormones, um, you know, the blood flows, flows through your body differently. And there's just so much about your physiology that comes from how you're thinking and how you're feeling. 
and also from how you're breathing. So that's the physiological um, side of it. And then the mental emotional thing, um, being able to, like I said, perceive things in a different way, like that challenging period I had after my mother passed away and Hermione was born, you know, just being able to bring myself back to the moment, being able to connect to what was in front of me, my values, my why, and, and enable, you know, the pillars of who I am to, to shine through in the moment rather than sort of, um, you know, continually, you know, going over things that have happened in the past. I mean, that's the nature of meditation. You're going to be sitting there, you're going to be breathing or whatever technique you have, and then your mind might wander off. And it's in that moment where you realize that your mind has wandered off and that you've got to come back to your technique, that that's the moment of awareness. That's the moment where you're strengthening your capacity to stay with that that one thing that you know you needed to be focused on and, and to be uh, letting go of that mind that wanders off. And that's a powerful thing to not let external things or things that have happened in the past or things that you think that might be happening in the future. And it comes back to that cliche to being in the moment. You are you are creating a higher capacity to be in the moment at all times. Mm. And um, even me just speaking just then, you know, I just... I was sort of witnessing myself speaking, but I had no other thoughts of anything else coming into my mind at all. Whereas you get Mitchell 20, 2007, I'm thinking about what the hell am I going to say? What are these people going to think of me? Who's going to be listening to me on this podcast? Da, 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 da. Mm. Oh, I really want to do well here because I want my business to do well. Oh, da, 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 da. Like mm. that stuff used to be going off like a machine gun in my head. Yeah, I didn't wow. have any bit of that in that exchange of me explaining that. And I think, that's just an example of what you can do. You can create more of being in the moment and that's where you can be successful in the absence of stress and in the absence of, you know, your negative thoughts and you've rerouted that all to be in a, in a positive alignment. So you can just be who you are. I think that's the biggest key. We don't need to be, you know, Superman. You are, you are good enough just as you are. My teacher told me, she's like, you know, you are a masterpiece, but you're also, um, uh, a, a working progress and we all we are all that and if we can um dive into that then we become really powerful because we know we've got work to do but we're also really proud of the things we've, we've done and overcome yeah that's awesome i think as well mitchy something that you mentioned on the summit series the other night as well when a lot of people on the summit series started meditation they they sort of had questions around saying i'm not that good at it i lose concentration and and whatnot and your explanation about how meditation is a skill just like jumping in the gym and doing a, a strength exercise the more you do that skill in the gym the better you get at it and it's the exact same for meditation for sure and it just comes back to that simple exchange of i'm sitting here breathing or like let's use the heart math example i'm i'm focused on the center of my heart or the area around my center of my chest i want to focus on that part of my body and I want to be doing a long, smooth, effortless breath. And so the awareness of the focus on the heart and the breathing has a beautiful uh, de-stressing uh, capacity from that technique. Your, your mind might wander off. It might be like your brother's yelling at your sister down the hallway or someone's driving past the house in a fast, hotted up car or, you know, dad's got the TV on too loud or, you know, you're thinking about what you didn't do well today in cricket. You know, you've got to let all that go. Mm. and and when you get distracted but then you realize you've become distracted mm. and you come back to your technique is is strengthening that solidification 
to your practice, which is there to, to turn down stress. And the more you can build that coming back, coming back, I just keep coming back to my center, you become more centered, you become more whole and more robust. So yeah, like a lot of people just like expect to start breathing and all of a sudden they're just like, um, you know, the Dalai Lama, like it ain't happening. It's like if you've ever seen someone learn a clean, like a clean from the floor exercise in the gym, that's a lot of bits and pieces. Yeah. <laughs> and just like your analogy um, there, Cam, was was beautiful because, yeah, just like any part of your development, bowling a cricket ball, or like we're using cricket as an example here, uh, it all just takes time. And it's just part of the process. It's just one of the things in your tool belt that you want to keep working on because we've seen it. In practice, there's guys and girls that kill training, but you get them out onto into a game situation or they're in a grand final and all of a sudden their skills just go out the door. And what's that? That's just the mind, um, you know, doing, doing its thing and you running away from all the skills and stuff you've built on because you're, uh, you're stressed out. So, yeah. yeah and so- as well, Mitchie, I think something as well, like meditation, like when someone jumps in the gym and they start, you know, if they start doing bicep curls or whatever the exercise is, they start to see improvements with their own eyes. And that's what sort of solidifies them to keep doing it. Where meditation, you don't see it like with your eyes. You don't actually see that straight away. So it's sort of a lot of people will will lose sight of the end result until they can see it with their eyes. But I think like you just said, then just that understanding the benefits are going to come can be a, a big sort of, push for people out there to keep keep going Mm. the cool thing about what i do now with the heart math stuff is that i can measure the uh, heart rate variability in real Mm. live time and you can be shown what impact your breathing and the positive emotion that you're trying to drive into your your system can have on your physiology and you can see real live moment to moment data of that coming up and and that's the clencher for me because what you just mentioned then was always the problem like i'd be doing this breath meditation stuff and like how do you really prove what you're doing is working mm. um but now there's this um you know system where i put a, a, a infrared light sort of sensor that sends i think it's 150 bits of infrared light through the um, blood vessels of the ear and it shows the expansion and contraction of those blood vessels, which are obviously related to what's going on in the heart. And you can see the patterning of, of the heart rate variability from that. And you can show people, and that's a large part of what I do is, you know, I'm coaching people there in the moment. I can see they might be breathing a little bit off, or I might suggest a few things to, to tweak that experience um, so that person can enhance their skills. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, Mitchie, a question I had for you, mate, and something that I sort of experienced when I first started to meditate, I I really felt like the scene had to be perfect. I felt like had to be up at 5.30, had to have my scented candles or, you know, my calming music in the background. I think when a lot of people start, it can sort of throw people off with how they feel like they need the environment to be. Do you have any sort of tips um, for people who are starting off around how they can just make it, you know, uh, not so much like a chore, but something that just fits into their day. And you don't have to make everything perfect. It's just about getting in, having a go. And, and like you said, practicing the skill. Yeah. Look, I think when you're starting out, yeah, ideally you do want your, your place to be quiet. You do want to be comfortable. And then as, as you get more advanced, you can start doing it at a bit more obscure places 
where there's more noise and things going on around you. But I'll say that even if there's noises going on around you or, you know, there's just something that you feel is distracting you, you're still going to be doing a really good job with your meditation. If your intention is to sit and meditate and keep coming back to your technique, um, you're going to be doing a really good job. Um, in terms of like, you know, ideally I'd love everyone to do this like 20 minutes. Like I used to do this sort of stuff 20 minutes twice a day. Mm. The Vipassana people recommend I do this for an hour every day. Mm. I find with the heart math stuff that I'm doing right now, you can create a fairly profound change in your nervous system in about 10 minutes. Mm. So if you've got a spare 10 minutes, you can still do a really good job. And then like I'm out and about, I'm in the car. Like I'll, when I, before I go and see a client, I'm just doing some stuff in the car. Like today I had uh, clients online here. Um, but before I started that session, like the sessions before leading into this conversation with you guys, I had uh, 10 minutes. So I just put the timer on and I just sat there, the eyes closed and just got my 10 minutes in. I think initially you do want to have a bit of a structure about when and where you're going to be doing it, but that as you grow over time and you become more portable with your technique, just putting it in as best you can with the lifestyle you had. When I started meditating, I didn't have any kids. I had had so much time. I mm. could do it. I could drive down to Avalon beach and sit on a bench and do it there. Like I, it was like a luxury. Now it's like, I just do my best to put it where I can. Mm. And um, I, I know and I keep coming back to the, the most important point. If, if I feel good within myself, I'm going to be able to have such a more profound effect on my day, the people I'm working with day. If I don't have that, then, then what do I have? I'm going to be um, on, you know, tapping into reserve tanks. And, and we've talked about resilience with the guys and girls in the summit series. You know, if you think about resilience, you know, people would say it's your ability to overcome challenging things time and time again. But every time something happens, it takes a chunk of your energy out to, to manage that, that issue that's come up. Um, let's say it's a cricket player. There's six balls that you're facing at the striker's end. There's a bit of energy you had to give six times over. Well, what about, you know, if you didn't um, change strike and you're at the recovery or the non-striker's end, you're doing some breathing to replenish your energy so that when you're back on strike, you can have more of, of an effective time. It, it, it's really like an energy in, energy out analogy, all this. Like if we just look at our body, we've got X amount of energy. To be resilient, you need to have a lot of energy. And, and what are ways in which we can do to cultivate more of that? And meditation and breathing and focus and the mindset stuff is definitely a way in which we can do that. Yeah, Mitchie, uh, I think that leads perfectly on to, I'm sure you've blown a lot of people's mind. I know Cam and I are sitting here in awe of what you're saying. Um, if people sort of wanted to get in contact with you, um, and I know you've got some resources with your Monday night meditation group, what would be the best way to, to get in touch and what sort of that Monday night meditation group entail? Yeah, so if you want to connect with me, www.mitchellwoods.com.au, www.mitchellwoods.com.au, I said that a bit clearer. Uh, Instagram is probably where I'm at a lot, um, at Mitchell Woods Performance. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook, but I'm just sort of pasting the same stuff from Instagram onto Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, you've mentioned it before as well. There's the podcast, the Love Over Fear podcast. So that's on Spotify and iTunes. So you get a bit of a insight into me, and uh, but also primarily the people I have on the show. And um, yeah, the options and services that I have, I have more sort of boutique 
um, mentoring that I have different levels. So there's like a bronze, a silver and a gold package that you can tap into, all of which sort of um, adds more time with me um, from bronze to the gold package. You mentioned it, George. I do a Monday online meditation of which you were present at uh, on Monday. So that's a new offering that's sort of come up in COVID. I've done different online um, experiences for meditation during COVID, but this is going to be an ongoing thing where people can come and go they please. But at the moment, that's a building group where you can come uh, from 7 to 8 p.m. on a Monday night. I will take you through a meditation. I'll also record that and send it to you so you can chip away at that throughout the week. There's also a Facebook group in that. Um, where I'm just posting some content or different awareness I'm having within my life and meditation into the into that um, Facebook group. So you're getting supported and you're getting motivated. And like you guys have alluded to along the way, it could be anything, it could be coaching, it could be meditation, any part of the skill development stuff, there needs to be some sort of accountability. If you just left it to your own devices, unless you were really crazy, deeply passionate, or I mean, I was forced into it. I was in pain and my life was falling apart. So I had to do something. Otherwise, I would you know, risk deteriorating even more. So that's where meditation came in for me. But if you've got a coach, someone to hold your hand through the tough bits, someone to support you and, and hold you accountable, that's that Monday night meditation group. And then you know, the different packs I messaged, uh, mentioned out of my business, it, it's more of a mentoring thing as well as the techniques that go with it. And it gets really specifics, uh, specific in um, the things you're going through and the challenges you're having and how can we put these tools to shift the things that are negative and, and build a platform of things that are positive for you to um, access your sport, uh, which is what I'm really passionate about. But I also, as I said at the start of the show, um, with you guys mentoring a lot of young uh, guys and girls um, to help just make better decisions in their life and uh, not to make some of the silly decisions that I made. Brilliant, Mitchie. That's awesome. And as a listener of your podcast, I'm a big advocate for it and make sure everyone listening today to jump on and give Mitchie's podcast a listen. You'll learn a lot. And that sort of stems into my next question, Mitchie. And I've had this question for a number of weeks and it's a question you ask a lot of your get or every guest that you have on your podcast. And I'm always thinking it while I'm listening. And that question is, what does a life choosing love over fear mean to you? Oh, how good is that question? <laughs> <laughs> Because that is the question that I ask everyone at the end of the podcast. And so, you know, to put that in context, I used to choose a life of fear where I used to be going around doing things uh, because I was worried about what other people thought of me. And I acted in a certain way that I thought would be more in alignment with how I'd get people to like me. And so that's where I started to suffer a lot because you can't live a life trying to please everyone and to, um, you know, make yourself seem something that you're not so you can be loved. It's just fake love. And um, I did a lot of that through my twenties. I was, I was a jock. I, I drank a lot. I, um, you know, probably didn't do the right thing by a few women in my life and lots of things that like, you know, I've had to sort of forgive myself for. And um, the meditation is really help me to connect to, to what love is. And I believe that um, love is within you. And, you know, to live a life of love over fear is to be 100% your authentic self, to be 
uh, or to be able to access as much of your true self as you possibly can in each and every moment and allow that to shine no matter where you are. So yeah, moving away from an existence of, of fear to love it is that in my opinion. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Really wanted to hear that Mitchie and sort of something that we do similar to you in your podcast is we like to consistently finish with some gratefuls. Cam and I will usually rattle three off each and then we'll move on to our guests. But before we do that, I want to ask you, Mitchie, you speak um, on the summit series about choosing an appreciation state over a frustration state. And that's obviously what we're trying to do here by being grateful daily. Um, could you give us a little bit of an insight on what choosing appreciation does to our physiology? Yeah, sure. In general, we have negative emotions and we have positive emotions. If we use appreciation as an example, the opposite to appreciation is, is frustration. So when you're in a frustrated state, you're probably angry, you're short-tempered, you're, you're triggered in, you're, then you're triggering your fight or flight nervous system. You're turning on the stress response in your body. You're uh, eliminating the resources you can access within yourself. You're, you're driving this negative loop. Whereas if you can cultivate an existence where you're looking to find things to be appreciative for all the time, it just becomes another skill. And just like the HeartMath uh, Institute has found, when you're in a positive state uh, via connecting to a positive emotion, it turns your nervous system out of that fight or flight and into more of that balanced and uh, aligned uh, rest and digest parasympathetic nervous system state. So, you know, your thoughts are powerful. The way in which you speak is powerful. It all has a way in which it triggers your nervous system. We've all known someone in our life that is definitely the, the cup half empty mm -hmm. and they see everything like that. And then, you know, cats that see the cup half full and somehow those individuals just make more out of less. They're, they're more lucky. Uh, they get more opportunities they just forge forward and, and make more of their lives. Um, so, you know, an example of how you can cultivate more appreciation. It's like, what's he talking about? Like, how does he just turn on an emotion? Like, what, what is that? When you breathe into your heart and you look to uh, do that for a couple of minutes, there's, it's an undenying feeling that there's a sense of soothing there. There's a sense of ease. So already you started to create just via your breathing nothing else a, se a sense of calm a sense of ease a sense of peace all of which are positive emotions or feelings and you can go up to higher emotions you know love and, and joy and one of my favorites which is to be excited i came on here today with the intention of wanting to to be excited and i know that you guys are excited and i was just having this little excited moment <laughs> and so as a, as a tip for people that are looking to try and do that, I often say, and I did this on the Monday night meditation with the guys and girls, go back to a moment in your life where you felt the best you've ever felt. Maybe you um, scored your first hundred, maybe you got picked for your first rep team, um, whatever it is, maybe it's the birth of your child. If you're an adult listening or you're a parent, um, like I remember when I got the call up to be the uh, strength and power intern coach at the Sydney Swans, I just, I found out the news and I just was in the shower after. And I just remember just feeling like that was the best shower I've ever had in my life. <laughs> and so you can find ways of which you can uh, 
uh, relive or regenerate, regenerate or renew those emotions. So going back to things that you believe that were moving for you in your life. And so you can be breathing and meditating and, and focused on your heart and just allow yourself to relive that. And you mm -hmm. feel the essence of that appreciation or joy or happiness or whatever that is. And then that becomes a skill. Uh, and then the skill wants to be able to, you know, look around wherever you are and just get triggered by positive things. That's a skill. People are, are largely triggered by negative things and you see that in them because they're just looking at the glass half full. So there's a science to it, but it's also very much a moment to moment um, skill set capacity of finding appreciation in the moment. Awesome. Brilliant. That's a great explanation and hopefully it gives everyone out there a little, little bit more insight into why we do our gratefuls on, on our Instagram story every day and why we do them on our podcast every episode as well. So I'll kick mine off. I'll do my three gratefuls first. I'll steal the first one before Brownie gets a chance. And that's very grateful for you, Mitchie. Grateful that we cross paths through sort of your connection with Josh and then our connection with Josh and then going into business together. We're very grateful that we cross paths with you. Uh, my second one is Gledswood. So recording the podcast down from Gledswood today. So super grateful to be living down here now. And the third one, which could get me into a bit of strife because this will be released post-game. But again, it's the Panthers continuing to <laughs> fight on and play finals footy. Hopefully, when this gets released, we'll be still playing. But I don't know. Fingers crossed against the, the powerhouse that the Melbourne Storm are this weekend. Mm. We'll save the best to last, Mitchie. So you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go. I'll go. So mine are obviously going to be quite similar to Cam. Uh, I think more general, the Summit Series, you know, mentors like yourself, Mitchie and Dino and even uh, Ash, we had on for one episode. Um, I'm really appreciating what you guys are doing for our athletes, but what you're also doing for our life and, and our connections with you guys as well. I think it's so valuable to have mentors like you that we can get on an interview and, and not only uh, give us a little bit more knowledge, but pass that on to, to some other people. So second one's going to be similar to Cam too. I'm very grateful to have Cam down my way now. We've had a pretty close relationship for the past few years. So to have Cam 12 minutes away from my house, to be able to hit balls together, whether that be cricket balls or golf balls a little bit more regularly or drive the training together rather than me just listening to um, Luke Combs over and over again, will be nice. Um, and the last one's going to be uh, our fiancés. We've got the girls out there now boxing up some of our My Peak gear. So the support we have is really great from them. Wonderful, boys. Um, I'll go. So I, I've mentioned to you guys, but just having the opportunity to be on the, the summit series is just like a dream come true because everything I just shared with you today is all my very unique experience and background. And I'd always dreamed of um, working with athletes on that mental, emotional, non-physical space and to have um, you guys as trust in me just to, to turn up and just make sure this guy just hopefully does a good job with these younger athletes. You know, I really appreciate it because I had a ball and it's, it's exactly what I want to be doing on the planet. And that's really cool. And this whole conversation is exactly what I want to be doing on the planet. So really grateful for you guys coming into my life and giving me a, a platform to share me, myself and, and the experiences and techniques I've got to share. So that's my, my first grateful. It's just unbelievably stoked with that. Um, number two is 
you know, I'm grateful for my, my wife. She is just so amazing and she's really supportive of me and she's just so beautiful uh, with our kids. We have two kids, Orlando's nearly seven and Hermione's three. And she's just such a, an amazing mother and amazing wife. And I wouldn't be uh, where I am today without her love and support and compassion. So that's a number two grateful. And then number three grateful and I'm taking a little bit of a, a leaf out of um, a page out of Snoop Dogg's book when he got on the uh, Hollywood uh, sidewalk. You know, I'm I'm grateful for me, and I want to thank me mm. for never quitting on you know that little boy that was injured within me, and to you know overcome the things that that I've overcome, and just that inner world that no one sees and can really appreciate. You know how off that was at a point in time there and I just kept forging away and it's enabled me to have you know my my presence which I'm really grateful for the depth of experience and um just that ability to make a difference I suppose on what I'm really grateful out of that in the world it's like out of everything that's happened I have a capacity to make a difference and to help other people and I'm just so grateful for that as well awesome very nice Mitchy that's brilliant that's Awesome. Thanks for coming on today, Mitchie. We, like we just said, we're very grateful to have you on and hopefully our listeners out there can uh, learn a little bit more about you and your experiences and try and take parts of that and put it into their daily lives as well. And anyone that is listening, strongly recommend reach out to Mitchie, chuck him a follow on Instagram and make sure you get onto his podcast because like I have, you'll learn a lot throughout. Yeah. Thanks so much for today, Mitchie. And uh we just obviously wish you all the best and and obviously can't wait to keep you involved here at my peak the stuff that we've learned in 10 weeks is incredible and and can't wait for the years to come with you in our back pocket so thanks again for being on today mitchy thanks for having me guys um and just yeah you guys are doing such a great job you know you're two young guys you know you're cricketers you're mentoring all these young people that are cricketers and and just the energy you're putting out there is just what the world needs right now. There's, you know, the exercise stuff you're doing, the mindset stuff you're doing, the gratitude stuff we're doing. Like that's, that's the example that I envisage that kids need growing up. You know, we don't need um, you guys, you know, at the pub sinking mm. 10 schooners like I used to do in my early 20s. No, you guys have really, um, you're so advanced in your maturity of where you are as young men. And I, I can't um, stress how, you know, proud I am to see you guys doing what you're doing and um, just really humbled that I can be in, involved. So once again, thanks for having me on. And I really look forward to, you know, this, this journey and, and what it means for all of us as it opens up into this space. Yeah. Very kind words, Mitchie. <laughs> thanks, Mitchie. That means a lot, mate. Cheers, gentlemen. See you soon. Oh, bye-bye.